be good. I'm going to pray now. Father, I pray that you would just use me this morning to communicate what's on your heart. Father, I feel that you're leading us as a church down a particular way, oh God. And so I pray that you would help me, Father, Lord, speak it, oh God, today so that people hear what you're saying. Take what I say, make it real in people's lives, I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I just had a week off, and it was a great week off. I just got up at nine o'clock every day, right? It was amazing. I uh, watched a series on TV, right? I uh, uh, won't tell you what it was, right? So uh, uh, I watched a series on TV. Uh, I, uh, I played golf four times in one week. Didn't help my golf though, right? But uh, it, was just, it was just a great time. But one of the things that hit me was I just felt this recurring thing. Because sometimes when you just stop, it's just like God kind of speaks to me. And, and I just stopped and, and I felt God speak to me about the direction for the month of July. And the direction for the month of July is really about speaking about Jesus, about telling people about Jesus, about evangelism, about lifting up the value of us going out and using our story, using who we are and how God has touched our lives, and tell people about Jesus. And so I've had this thought, that's what we're going to push and, and, or push the church. I don't like using that word so much, but encourage the church around evangelism. So then I heard a stat, and that stat caused me a lot of consternation. It caused me a real lot of consternation because it, it, just, it just made me think. And the stat was this, and it was done by the Barna Group, which is a Christian research group. And they said that 47% of people under 40 don't believe that it's okay to tell people about Jesus, that it wasn't right to impose their belief on someone else. And that just staggered me. Like when I got saved, let me tell you, it was the complete opposite. I got saved in 1982, and let me tell you, we were encouraged to tell everyone about Jesus all the time. I would literally stand up on a bus and tell people about Jesus. I would go into Rundle Mall, and I I was probably a bit more radical than most, but I got saved. It was day and night. It was black and white. I just was changed, right? There was something within me. I'd go in the middle of the street, and I would start street preaching. I would tell all these people from the footy club that I was at that I had to come to church, and I got 22 of them once, all to come with me to church, and then the preacher preached back, I remember this is like in 1982, preached about divorce and they all left. And so I, I, I yelled at him in the car, but you're going to hell, right? And uh, so I've gained a little bit of wisdom since then. I had lots of zeal, not much wisdom, right? And, uh, and, and, but but that, that's, what, that's, what, that's what happened. There was this thing, I just got to tell people about Jesus. And now 47% of people, when the younger people think, That if I'm telling you about Jesus, I'm imposing my beliefs upon you. Now, I'm not advocating that you all got to become radical street preachers. To be honest, I think the place for the pulpit is in the church. I don't think you should take your pulpit to work and then just start, you know, raving on and and carrying on. I don't think that's what we need to be doing. But I do hope that you have an understanding that it is our responsibility 
to tell people about Jesus and that our Christianity can't be hidden under a basket, that we are a city of light that's on a hill. If 47% of people under 40 won't tell people about Jesus and the gospel because they don't want to offend someone or they seem to be imposing their beliefs upon someone, it tells me that they seriously misunderstand the gospel. They don't understand what the gospel is. The gospel is good news. It's not bad news. It's good news. So you should be wanting to tell people good news. See, if you're not telling someone because you think it's going to be bad for them or offensive, you don't actually believe it's good news. If you think it's offensive, it's, then that's, you should be happy to share the good news. Jack and Tiana just came back from their holiday. And uh, they had a great holiday. It was, all over Instagram is was great. But when they came back on Friday night to our house, let me tell you, they were happy to share their stories of what happened in Paris, in London, in Greece. They were happy to do so. So why is there a reluctance to tell people about Jesus? Why is there a reluctance to, to share Jesus? Now, fear would have some part of it. God knew that we would be fearful, so he said, ask the Holy Spirit to come upon you, and the Holy Spirit will deal with that fear. It also says that don't worry about what you're going to speak, because under the kind of like, uh, time of, of, of under being under the spotlight, it says the Holy Spirit himself will give you the words to say. So really, it's a sense of fear or the, the thing of what could happen, which is where the enemy lives, in fear. Fear is not of God. Right? We've got to walk in faith. And so that's what one of the understand. So understand that the Holy Spirit is given to us to overcome that fear. But I, I, I think it's more than that. I think it's the misunderstanding of what the gospel actually is. For example, when someone come, who doesn't know God comes to church, we get all worried about what they're going to think, right? Or are they going to think that the stage is too big, right? Are they, they going to think this? Are they going to think that? Or I hope the preacher preaches what I, you know, like what are they going to think? It's like, have you ever watched a movie that you really loved, right? And then you tell someone about it and you're watching it with them and they're just like, oh, yeah. You go, but no, this awesome movie is fantastic. You've got to love this movie. Like, oh. and, and sometimes we get a little bit like that with the gospel. We think like, you've got to love it, but that's a misunderstanding. It's not the church or a pastor's message that sees someone get saved. It's the Holy Spirit that draws someone to salvation. The Bible tells us that we have eternity written on our hearts. Every person, every single person on the planet has eternity written into their hearts. And so what happens is when they come to church, they have to encounter the God of eternity and then something happens. That's when salvation comes. It's not whether this is good. Now, we want things to be good. I don't want things to be hopeless. I don't want the music to be terrible, the singing to be horrible and all of those things. But that's not what saves them. 
It's when they have an encounter, when there's a connection, and that's that connection of the eternity in their hearts, connecting with the God of eternity, and all of a sudden we see that someone trusts their lives to Jesus. Maybe one of the disconnects, maybe one of the reasons people fear and, 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 and think that why we shouldn't speak about it is, is maybe they think that gospel is really just telling someone how they should live, which is what the survey actually indicated. Millennials didn't want to impose their beliefs on others. So in their thinking, if you follow that thought through, it makes you understand that what they feel the gospel is, is to tell people how to behave. That all the gospel is, is behavior modification. So the gospel is to tell someone not to drink, not to sleep around, to go to church, to give money. And if you do all those things, then God is going to love you and accept you into heaven. Right? And so there's a fundamental misunderstanding. Right? That, that, that we've got to be telling people, you're living the wrong way. This is how you're supposed to live. That's not the gospel. Changing and, and, and getting someone to change isn't the gospel message. That's not good news. That actually is imposing your belief. And it's because of this misconception, I actually believe that's why there's such a disconnection between the church and the world. Because the world thinks that all we are here to do is to tell them how they should live. And I've spoken about that before. We are called to tell people the gospel, the good news, that God isn't angry with them anymore. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? What about that person who's living that terrible, immoral lifestyle? What about that politician who's, who's taking people down this completely wrong road? What about all the people that are doing evil things around the world today? Do you really believe that God loves them? Or do you believe that he's there to judge them? And what you believe about there tells me your understanding of the gospel. God isn't angry with them anymore. He's made a way for them to come to God, and that's through Jesus, that they can know God. Our job is to be the connection point between eternity and God who has put eternity in their hearts. Once you understand that, that takes away that personal responsibility that you sometimes feel to get them saved. It's my job to get them saved. Right? I've got to have the right sales pitch. I've got to be able to just say it just in a complete right way, and then they'll understand and they'll go yes to Jesus. I want to say there's no argument in the world. There's no one persuasive enough in the world that is going to get someone to give their, mind, their lives to Jesus from just their mind. It's a spirit change. It's a change of spirit. A spirit that was dead becomes alive to God. And it's not about me getting their mind. Let me just explain it right. Let's just do it right. Let me have it just right. And then all of a sudden their mind's going to, yes, I think that I'll do that. 
And some may make a decision because they may do it like they bought something off a telemarketing ad. That's who, who's bought something off a telemarketing ad that you think's going to be amazing, and then it's not. I just bought a torch. This torch is going to light up the whole of Albany Creek in one kind of thing because I saw it on thing. I can't even get it to put any light. It's a con, right? It's a con. Sorry, honey, I haven't told you about that. <laughs> I discovered this website called Tamu, right? It's got everything. It's, it's a new wish. It's awesome, right? <laughs> Expect lots of little packages in the next little while, Jacinta. Right, I got sucked into the SARS pitch, but it's not real. See, the thing is, at some times, if I'm teaching people that it's the church that's going to save them, that it's me, Mark Elmendorp, that's going to save them, soon enough, it's going to be like that torch. Something's going to let them down. One day, I'm going to let you down. I'm not going to get the charge right, right, sort of thing. And all of a sudden, I won't bring the light that I was supposed to bring, in a sense. You understand? But Jesus doesn't let anybody down. Jesus is the truth and the way and the light. He is the one. And that's what we've got to do. We actually have to understand that it's the Holy Spirit that convinces someone of their need of Christ. And if I actually believe that, then it has to be easier. I'll just let God do the work. I'll just bring him and then God can do what he has to do. It's not for me to see. And we're going to talk a little bit about that later in the way that different people respond to Christ. It's, it's when someone really gets that God is real and really understands that God knows them personally, that a person's spirit becomes alive to God. Yeah. Now, all of you know my story of how I came to Christ, that I, that I came to a church that I didn't even know like a church like this existed. But I want to tell you, I know exactly where I was when I understood and, and something happened in my spirit. I was in a bar at 12 o'clock in the afternoon. A girl talked to me. I was already had a few too many drinks at that time of the day, right? And she started talking to me about God. And right then and there, God went from some kind of, he's out there, I don't even believe in him, he can't be real, all these different things, to like, God is real. And God knows Mark Elmendor. God knows me. He actually knows I exist. And at that point, something changed. There was so many things. I wasn't in a church. I was in a bar. I was in a pub. I was in a bar. That's when God's salvation visits your soul and your spirit becomes alive. The gospel is so much more than behavior modification. Don't make it about behavior. One if they say that one is that's making it about behavior. Well, they're a spirit alive to God. Did they know God? Behavior change comes into our lives when we actually start to respond to God's love for us. And things start to actually change. We 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 our behavior changes because we change. Right, we with the things that you know, like to, I didn't want to talk about getting drunk anymore because it didn't 
attract me anymore. I didn't want to talk about the drugs or about the girls or about, I didn't want to talk about those things anymore because it didn't attract me. There was something else that attracted me and thereby I changed. Do you understand? It wasn't, oh, I better do this or God's going to get me. It's, that didn't attract anymore. This is what attracted me and that's what brings change. That's what brings change. I fall more and more in love with Jesus. I know Jesus more and more and more. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, I just want to change because the things that I'm looking at are actually changing. Once we understand it's not our responsibility to see someone saved, it's just our responsibility to be the messenger and to be the connect person, it has to be easier. Joe preached an amazing message last Sunday night. I, and, and, and if you don't come to Sunday nights, God bless you, that's fine. But they're amazing meetings. Our Sunday night meetings are incredibly meetings. And, and I just want to encourage you. I wanted to show a little bit of a clip of Sunday night where Joe spoke about salvations and about chairs. Have a look at this. And I'll try and explain it. When you look at all these chairs, I mean, we've got blue chairs, we've got white chairs, we've got gray chairs, we've got stools. I mean, if we had to, I would love it. The one day I said, hey team, we're out of the overflow chairs. Go out to the cafe and bring them in because we need to put more seats in this auditorium. Come on, we need more high chairs for the babies. We need more stools for the cafe. We'll even go into the office and steal the chairs of Neil and Chris. to explain that that chair there, empty chair, could be for your family member who could actually be sitting in that chair is not saved yet. Could actually be for our next youth leader. Could actually be for our next someone that you know and have been praying for. It was a powerful, powerful message because God is wanting to stir us up. Joe stirred us towards a cause and a cause is powerful. Let me explain. Jesus came to this earth for a cause. And that cause was significant. John 18, verse 37. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause... I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Jesus came into the world for a reason, for a cause, to bear witness to the truth. And that truth is the kingdom of God. He was born into this world to preach the good news of the kingdom. And that was his cause. So Jesus' cause was not to heal the sick. Jesus' cause was not to feed the poor. Jesus' cause was not to teach the Pharisees where they'd got it wrong. Jesus' cause wasn't to do miracles. It wasn't to get people to change their behavior. 
certainly wasn't there to condemn people for their sin. Jesus' cause wasn't to meet people's needs. His cause was to preach the kingdom of God. Look at this story in Luke 4. As the sun went down that evening, people throughout the village brought sick family members to Jesus. No matter what their diseases were, the touch of his hand healed everyone. What a meeting that would have been. Many were possessed by demons, and the demons came out at his command, shouting, You are the Son of God. But because they knew his Messiah, he rebuked them and refused to let them speak. Early the next morning, Jesus went out to an isolated place. Then the crowd searched everywhere for him, and when they finally found him, they begged him not to leave. But he replied, I must preach the good news of the kingdom in other towns too, because that is why I was sent. So he continued to travel around, preaching in synagogues throughout Judea. So here we have Jesus. He's in a place, he's in Capernaum. And he's there and, and all these great things are happening. See, if it wasn't the periphery, all the things, he wanted to go and preach the kingdom. If Jesus was only here for the peripherals, he would have just stayed in Capernaum and everyone could have just come to him. If his goal was to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to, to do all those things, he, he, that was just what happened because the kingdom is preached. Things start to happen. The things of the kingdom are healing and restoration and deliverance and provision. They're the fruit of the kingdom. But that's not why Jesus came. He wanted to get the message out. And God is now using us to get the message out. Jesus was more interested in a person's eternal destination than their temporary circumstances. Jesus had a cause and everything else took second place. His family takes second place, his personal comfort, his riches, his personal glory. In fact, he was prepared to die for his cause and ultimately does. He lived his life and gave up his life for his cause. His cause that people would no longer be separated from God, that they would be doomed to go to hell, but now there was a way for God and man to be friends. For God and man to be at one. For man and God to no longer be enemies. That there's no enemy or the fighting between each other. I couldn't say that word. So I had to make up something there. <laughs> Having a cause is one of the most powerful motivators in life. If you don't have a cause... Your life is actually doomed to mediocrity. Because you've built your life then on you. And any life that is built solely for its own purpose by design has to be small. It has to be a small life, a hedged in life. To be honest, if you're living like that, your only hope is a cause. That's the only thing that you need. You need a cause. Are you living your life for a cause worth dying for? Now, I'm not saying you've got to strap a bomb to yourself and go save the whales. 
right? That's, that's not what I'm saying. I mean, what cause do you live for that makes you die to self? That's what it is. It's, a, it's something that says, I'd rather this happen than something for myself. Well, that's what dying to self, because that's the true measure of a real cause. If you live for a cause, personal comfort is not your goal. Because if you live your life just to be comfortable, you realize that being comfortable never actually happens. There's always something else. And when you do that, there's always something else. They say a house is never finished until the day of the first open inspection. And then you're getting rid of it and going to another house that's never finished. See, if, you want, if, you, if your life is just set, I just want to be comfortable, you end up being selfish, you end up being self-observed, and you eventually become morally bankrupt. And I've noticed the more famous someone is and the richer they become, the more self-absorbed they become and the more life becomes about their selves and what they need and what they're scared of. Some of the richest people and, and most famous people are so fearful. It's incredible. All right, if you live for a cause, you're not just after a position because it's what you can do in the position and who you can serve in the position that actually floats your boat. You don't just want the title. You want the ability to be able to bring influence. If you just want position so others can see how great you are, eventually you'll become empty because the praise of man literally is one day they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, and a week later they're crying out, crucify him, crucify him. The the things of men are really going to, if you're looking for the praise of men, it's it's never enough. It's never enough. You become empty. If you live for a cause, you look for solutions rather than be overwhelmed by the need. See, what happens when you're living for a cause, you stretch out rather than shrink back. Problems never worry a person with a cause because it doesn't need to make sense. Their commitment to a cause keeps them trying and trying and trying until they overcome, until they get what it is that they're looking for. I'm going to find a solution to this problem. Because that's what a cause does. It brings energy and creativity into yourself. If you're living for a cause, it keeps you young of heart. Caleb was 85 years old and he followed the, the Lord, the Bible says, wholeheartedly. He fought and he got the promised land, right, because he had a cause. He came back and said, I was promised this, I want my land. He had a cause. You know, I love the seniors in our church. I love... Pastor Fred and Betty. You know, Pastor Fred's in his 80 now, and he's like got a bigger kind of congregation he's ever had through his Facebook. And he's, he's famous everywhere around the world now because of his Facebook in his 80s. There's people in their senior years, I was going to use another word, right? People in their senior years that are inspiring to me because they're not giving up. A cause keeps you young. A cause keeps you young. If you live for a cause, you live in unity. Because I do my job and you do yours. It's not about the individual. It's about the cause. The Bible tells us how good is it 
when brethren dwell together in unity, giving the picture of an ambush. Everyone's got their job. And if one person doesn't do the job, they can't do the ambush. Ephesians 4 talks about pastors and prophets, evangelists, teachers and apostles, saying when every one of them do the job, then all of a sudden great unity and fruitfulness comes to the church. You live for the cause, you live a disciplined life. Because all of a sudden, it's what the cause needs that makes me want to discipline. I want to say, you know, that our young people and our youth leaders and our, and our, and our they work really hard. They're consistently ringing. They're consistently driving. They're consistently here. They're, they're at church three, four times nights a week. Jack came back today, uh, last week, and he goes, you know, every night I've got something next week. I go, that's all right. You've had five weeks yeah. off, right? <laughs> Good. <laughs> Good leadership. See, what happens is that when you have a cause, you pay the price. You pay the price. You're happy to pay the price. Without vision, the people cast off restraint. You know, a young man, if he sees a, a young girl in the youth group that he likes, and by the way, it's a young adult retreat, I saw some potential relationships going on there in the Instagram posts. So uh, this is what pastor's always looking at, right? So uh, right, you cast off restraints, right? I come over this side, right? <laughs> so what happens is that like, if, you, if a guy likes a girl, he doesn't just rock up to youth group in his tracksuit pants and his Birkenstocks, right? Like, he gets dressed, he cuts his hair, he puts, he actually brushes his teeth, right? Young men, good thing to do, right? right? He, he makes sure because he's got a cause. I want this girl to notice me. Right? That's what happens. When you have a cause, you go the extra mile. There are many benefits to living a life for a cause. Jesus' cause was to be a witness to the truth, to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. He tells a very famous parable of the sower who sows the seed. Some falls on a path, some in shallow soil, some amongst the prickles, and some in good soil. See, this actually gives us a great picture of a Christian world and a Christian life. The parable makes us ask the question of ourselves, are we living a life for the extension of the kingdom or do we see the kingdom of God as a vehicle toward our own blessing? Are we a contributor or a consumer? Because in God's kingdom, we need to be both. God blesses us, that's consuming, and then we give that out somewhere that's contributing. One of the things I like about our church, and I like many things, but I believe that we do have a, a, a and, and try to design a church where you can sit and receive, but there's also a vehicle for you to get out and to serve. And I think every one of us as a Christian needs to have a place where we sit at the feet of Jesus, which Jesus says is the most important thing. But if you serve all the time and you never sit, then that's a bad place. That leads to a breakdown. But when your serving comes from your sitting, then all of a sudden you start to see the action of the kingdom of God at work. And what we start to see is fruit, more fruit, much fruit, and everlasting fruit. 
I am a great believer that to the extent that you live your life for the kingdom, the cause, is the extent that you see the kingdom of God at work in your life. So let's read this parable. The sower sows the word. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground, who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves, and so they endure for only a time. Afterwards, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Now these are the ones who are sown among the thorns. They are the ones who hear the word, and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things enter in, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And then these are the ones who are sown on good ground. Those who hear the word, accept it, bear fruit, some 30, some 60, and some 100. So we basically have four categories. The sower goes out and sows the word. That's what we're called to do. We are called to go out and sow the word. We go out and tell people about Jesus. You know, some people never understand that there is a cause. These are people that we can witness to. We bring them to church. They hear a gospel message, but some lie of the enemy just makes them reject the word. Satan, who is a liar from the beginning, tells them a lie and they believe the lie. Lies like, the church only wants your money. Christianity is a crutch for the weak. Science has disproved God. If God were real, why is there suffering? What about that guy at work? He's supposed to be a Christian and he has an affair with his secretary. See, there's a million reasons the enemy will give someone while not to listen to the seed, to reject it, to say no, to not accept it. There's a million of them. Then there's stony ground. It's the trials and persecutions and the cost of following Jesus, of following the cause that stops many people from going. You know, if you're going for any cause, there's going to be people who are going to be contrary to your cause. The fact that you have a cause actually defines that there is people who are against what it is that you're trying to say. And so therefore, people are going to come against you. And I want to say, church, that persecutions are going to come more, not less, for the church in years to come, because that's a sign of the end times. But I also do want to tell you, the church has always grown where there's been the most persecution. You just have to look at China, where you see literally millions of Christians in a place where you're banned to actually ever mention Jesus, yet God has a way because the gospel is real and no man will ever stand before God and say, I didn't have a chance. And so eternity written in the heart of a Chinese person who's never heard about Jesus as much as is written in the heart of someone who comes to, lives in Australia and hears the gospel on a regular basis. But there's going to come persecutions. Also too, as you go on and your walk with God, God's going to ask you for something and say, that's no longer part of your life. I don't want you there. I don't want that. I don't want this in your life. 
And then you have to make a choice. Am I going to do that? Or am I going to do what God is that God asked me? For me, it was cricket on a Sunday afternoon. I wasn't going to go to hell because of cricket, but it was going to stop me giving my all to the cause of Christ. So I had to stop. What is it for you? Is it drinking? Is it going out with certain friends? Maybe God's saying, I want you to come to church on a Sunday night. I definitely think he's saying that. All right. Maybe he's telling you, give up one night a week and spend an hour in prayer. What is the, what is the thing that God is asking of you? What is the thing that they go, what, what is it? Is it God saying, I want you to visit that person, but they live a long way away. If I do, I might have to dry them or do something. No, God is saying, that's what you want to do. Take that step. Take that step. Then there's the thorns, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things. To be honest, I think this is the real enemy of Christians. See, you really accepted Christ. You want to be a Christian. You want to follow in the things of God. You know Jesus is real. You have, you, you have a, a sense of relationship and the cares of this world. I love this word, the deceitfulness of riches. Seems like it's good, but it's just not. The desire for other things. It's really like, how are you 10 years after walking your Christian walk? As a pastor, we see it all the time. People hop for God as youth and young adults. Then they get married, settle down. Kids come along. They don't come to church. Kids got to sleep. They need to work on the house. They got to have family time. And they become three times a month Christians and slowly their relationship with God becomes a little shallow. They allow some old habits to come back. Notice I'm just reading this, not looking. <laughs> and they find they don't enjoy church as much as they once did. But to them, it's like because church isn't like it used to be. Yes, it is. They're just not as hungry as they used to be. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, desire for other things, choke the word and becomes unfruitful. You know, there's a lot of legitimate things that can choke the cause right out of you. It can just choke the cause right out of you. Usually what happens is a crisis hits. There's a marriage breakdown, some kid off the rails, there's a health issue, midlife crisis, and it wakes the person up. And thanks be to God, because this is what I love about God. He just picks you up from where you left off and you can walk again. God doesn't condemn you, punish you, send you back, have all these things. He's just like the father in the prodigal son. He's just waiting. Hey, put the ring on, put the coat on. Let's get going again. That's all it takes. It just takes that desire. I just want God again. And all of a sudden, something happens. And the last one is fruitfulness. To be honest, as a pastor, these are the people I meet most of the time. People who, whether they're 10 or whether they're 100, live their lives for the cause of Christ. We've many, many, many people like that here at Emerge. You know, visiting preachers comment to me all the time when they come to our church, just the maturity of our church and that people just are strong in the things of God. And so that's good. We want to see things. Our altars are full. When we do a ask for, you know, like I can guarantee you, 
that there's going to be good money come in today for uh, youth to go to camp and for the kitchen for the homeless. I, I know that. I don't, need, I don't have to hope that happens. I know that because you're a church that's responsive. You're a church that has a heart to see the gospel come to many, many people. The challenge over this next month is I'm going to ask you, get out there and ask people yourself. Get out there yourself and scatter the seed. Maybe the, uh, maybe the musicians has come. It's one of the reasons that I'm so bullish about the future of our church because I believe that this is a church that will poke you. It will kind of like, kind of just stir you. That it's hard to get religious here because at some stage, something's going to happen. It's going to just poke you just here. It's uncomfortable. Stop that. Does anyone get poked here? It's horrible, right? And sometimes that's what I believe happens here. The Holy Spirit, because we have people who love the Lord, because there are people who are living a fruitful life, the Holy Spirit is able to poke them. And they're going, okay. I'm ready to respond. We are a responsive church. I heard at the women's conference that pretty much everyone came out. It was like, oh, we want to just left you staying in your seats because everyone came to the altar. Right, we have a responsive church. I love it that, that when we call for prayer, that people come out to get prayer because they understand that God is the answer to what it is that they're looking for. I'm looking to a man, I'm going to look to God. Let us stay like that church. Let us be people like that church. But we are the ones that are called to scatter the seed. And that's what I want you to see. And as you tell someone about Jesus, scatter the seed. It takes an element of boldness, but the Holy Spirit is there to give you that boldness to do. But get out there and scatter the seed. See, it's not up to you. What happens with that seed? The Bible says that God is the sower. Some of His seed that He sows is taken away. Some of the seed is kind of ripped up. Some of the seed is kind of choked. But some of the seed is fruitful. Also, let's never believe that it's 25, 25, 25, 25. Right? How do you know it's not 97 and 1 and 1 and 1? That's what I'm going to believe for. At, a, at the church. This week, be a seed scatterer. See telling someone about Jesus as scattering seed. Be a sower. This morning, I want us to make a fresh commitment to the cause of Christ. So can you just please stand? I'm going to ask you, I'll tell you straight up front what I'm going to ask you to say, so uh, you don't, if you don't want to say, you don't have to. I'm going to ask you to make a fresh commitment to the cause, to making the gospel good news for the people that come into your lives. I think about all the people that we're going to touch this week. Probably this room alone will touch 10,000 people this week. 10,000 different people are going to come into contact with someone in this room. So let's be seed scatterers. Let's be sowers this week and speak about the gospel. So I'm going to ask you to pray this after me. Dear God, I make a fresh commitment this morning 
I realign myself to your cause. I put aside my agenda and live with others in mind. Let my life extend your kingdom. Use me to tell others of your love. Help me every day, Holy Spirit, to be a bearer of good news. I trust you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, you've heard us as a church this morning. Father, realign our commitment to the cause. Father, let this church be a place that you would send seekers, oh God. Father, those that are ready to hear your word and ready to accept it, oh God. Those who you know their plan and your plan are together, oh God. Draw them to this place, oh God. Father, draw them to Morayfield. Draw them to Redcliffe. Draw them here to Warner, oh God. Father, Lord, let it be that we would see it as good news, oh God. Let's see it as good news, as good news, as good news. Oh, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus. Father, give us a fresh understanding that people aren't going to go to hell because of what they've done, but because they don't know you. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus. Let us understand that there is a hell and that people are going there if they don't know Jesus. Going there unnecessarily, oh God. Father, let us be ones giving them the good news. In Jesus' name, amen. See, it's good news. See, if I knew that there was something wrong with this piano, and, and, and like I knew that if Luke played the piano, he was going to get an electric shock. But I go, I, I don't want to tell him how to live. All right? I better not tell him how to live because, you know, like, who am I to tell him? I don't know anything about pianos. Right? And then he gets an electric shock. I do have a measure of responsibility. And that's what it is. People are going to hell. It's not a popular message nowadays, but it's still the truth. People are going to a Christless eternity. Not because of what they've done, but because they don't know Jesus. We can tell them about Jesus. That's our role. We are ministers of reconciliation, the Bible tells us. So I know that's a really heavy way to finish a sermon. But I just, I, I sometimes like the gravity of that to hit us. I think the gravity of that is real. Now we have an answer, and that answer is Jesus. Father, we pray, oh God, use our church to see people saved, to see people come to Christ to know Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Remember, it's not about whether they get saved. It's about you connecting them. God does the saving work. It's not your ability. It's just you be the messenger. You be the connector and let God speak to the eternity that's in their heart. Tonight is going to be...